Welcome to Tarot for the Wild Soul Deep Conversations and Tarot Medicine for Your Highest Evolution. I'm your host, Lindsay Mack. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today is a wild soul lesson. Um, I'm finally kind of taking the leap a little bit to talk um, to everyone about a topic that is very oddly really near and dear to my heart. It's something that is a very foundational part of my tarot practice. In fact, I don't know that there can be even a separation. It's a very foundational way of how I teach. If you've been wondering to yourself, well, you know, literally, is Lindsay any different than any other teacher? First of all, all tarot teachers are different and unique in their own way. But I would say that this is probably the piece that's most, most unique to me, probably shared with some. Um, and or that I most identify with myself, I suppose, <clears throat> because there are tons of people who talk about trauma and mental health, wellness with tarot, obviously. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about how you can use tarot as a tool in mental health, in your mental health care, in your mental health upkeep, in your waves. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it with trauma and how it can be a tool with trauma. So to backtrack before I go forward, um, for anyone who doesn't know, and even some people who do know, um, I'm a survivor of very extreme childhood abuse ongoing since day one. And um, where there wasn't abuse, unfortunately, at home, there was a lot of neglect outside of that. And uh, a lot of like very serious bullying in school. So it really was like getting it from all ends. But my home life was a very abusive nightmare and it was that way every day. And unfortunately, my parent who created the havoc and the abuse is sick enough to not really understand what they have done and what they have um what they, uh, the, there's no, uh, perception or comprehension that the, uh, abuse was abuse basically. And because, yeah, well, it's not worth getting into it. It is very severe physically and psychologically. And, um, I have very complex PTSD and still do, even though much of it has been processed and I'm a very functional person in my day to day. And that was not the case several years ago. And that was through the help of like all different kinds of levels and layers of care. There were time when I had a psychiatrist who was instrumental to me getting better. There was a point of time where I had very serious therapy. There was very, you know, point in time where I had like EMDR and there was a point in time, a lot of my life where I had no money and I had stuff like this. And I had stuff like people sharing what worked for them. And those were my survival techniques. So this is a part of my love letter because for most of my life, I didn't have any money and had very extreme mental health needs. Um, it's not great. <laughs> and I know how it feels. And um, for anybody who doesn't have the money to even think about a psychiatrist right now or a therapist or a coach or whatever the, whatever it might be that you desire for your care. Um, my hope and prayer and space that I'm holding is that it will come. And secondly, um, 
that there are enough free resources out there, this potentially being one of them that could possibly serve um, to help create and foster skills where you can be empowered in your own mental health care. So, um, so yeah, that's the point of this and to talk a little bit about what I did and what forms my practice with regard to tarot being a very instrumental and invaluable tool in my mental wellness and healing and my work with trauma. So I had, um, very complex PTSD that really made me unable to function. I would go for several months, maybe a year if I was lucky without much to do, and then would get a trigger and then would be thrown into a realm of total lack of function. Couldn't answer phones, couldn't, you know, call people back, couldn't be a person. And there's still a light form of that that happens when a really big trigger arises, it's like, you just have to work with it. It's not the same as having a big deadline, but it is very much a legitimate aspect of what it is to be a person. Unfortunately, not everybody honors it as such, but back before I was 30, it was really bad. And, um, it affected everything from school to relationships, to my job. And, eventually got to the point at around 30 where it was so despairing and so, um, scary that I was really, um, sure that I wanted to not be alive anymore and, um, got the right people in my camp at the right time. I won't go into that right now that that was able to be shifted. Um, maybe not the desire, to not have to suffer anymore, but started to feel better and take my healing a lot more seriously and cut off from the person who was being abusive to me. So again, I don't want to potentially have this conversation be a triggering space, although triggering might occur here. It, it's because your trigger could be anything. It could be a frying pan. It could be an apple. It could be a certain word. It could be a way of speaking, or it could just be someone talking about their abuse. So it's important to use judgment um, and to use discernment and to know that if there is a trigger that arises, that breath and love can be brought to it and can help it to be released or to pass on its time. But yeah, we're going to be talking about trauma today. So if that is too sensitive for you, I would say maybe skip this one and come back um, next week when we do an interview. And when you feel strong enough and like you're in a space where you can deeply receive it, it'll be here for you. So <clears throat> I picked up a deck for the first time when I was 12. I'm 34, so it's been a number of years. And um, through most of my life, I just used my deck and played and tried to go as deeply as I could, but didn't really, you know, intensely use it for this. So when I started to, um, really make a commitment after 30 with my, when I, I finally literally had to get a doctor because it, I couldn't, I could no longer sustain my life on earth. Um, when I finally had a doctor was healing and getting better very slowly after having a real nervous breakdown at about the age of 30, which I've spoken about many times. So I won't bore anyone with that one because you 
you can literally hear about it anywhere. But um, the the gentleness, and that's when I found my teacher, and I started to work on gently reparenting myself that was being very effective because I was no longer connecting with my family, um, any members for a little while, because it just didn't feel safe enough to do that. And what wound up happening through this very bizarre intersection is that after some years had gone by where I hadn't really touched or engaged with the tarot, the mother piece came back into my life, which had been given to me when I was 21 and remained the only deck that I had. This was four years ago. And so I started to use it and very oddly doing work with it in stores came about in a very bizarre way. So I had started to do these little readings and it was bringing a lot of joy to my life during my healing process um, and made me feel better. Um, but it was a very bizarre thing that I had not planned on doing. It just happened. <clears throat> but what I was finding is that when, because, okay, when there is the presence of trauma and when there is the presence of the idea that anything is too big for the body to process at once, if we have an experience, let's even take it out of trauma, even anger, anything, where we can't see the bottom of it or the shape of it, and it just seems like that's the world, we need an anchor. This is a practice of mindfulness. This is a psychological notion. This isn't something I made up. You can read about anchoring. Anchoring is something that you have to practice both when you are not triggered and when you're triggered. So let's just say you decide your anchor is going to be a certain kind of breath pattern and the thought of Mother Mary. So you would need to do that every day on good days and bad to invoke a feeling of peace and, and a sense of a harbor to create the neural pathways that will support you when you're triggered. Because when if we do it when we're triggered and we haven't really set up the scene for it, it won't work essentially or can work, but it won't work all the time. So that's why it can be magnificent to tune in with something, but the sustainability of it can be, there can be variables to it. So in order to have something when we are furious, triggered in that way, when we have a panic attack, when we feel super depressed, um, and, and it's a very extreme dip, um, a triggering moment or a moment certainly where we're thrown back into a sense of, of trauma or an old trauma memory or some PTSD, anchoring can help. And that's why tarot, if you're a user of tarot, is one of the best tools out there outside of a professional because there is in incredible um, anchoring and bonding that happens with any reader and their deck. And uh, we can talk a little bit about like decks, but it doesn't matter what deck you use. If you're very bonded to that deck, even if there's, quote, some kind of frightening imagery, if you know enough about your deck and trust your gut and trust yourself and trust your training, if you've worked with anybody, um, you can begin to work with even the more difficult definitions in those states. So for me, even with a doctor, even with a therapist, for anybody, if you have the privilege, because I had to like 
do that shit all on credit cards <laughs> for a little while. So if you have the privilege to be able to have access to anything like that, that actually helps you, it doesn't create further harm because medication, um, some people are medication resistant and it can create some difficulty. That's the way it is in my lineage too. Like I have a lot of people who are very uh, traumatized and mentally um, struggling with depression uh, on the regular and are medication resistant and are constantly um, working. And in fact, I am medication resistant and the psychologist that helped me really basically uses amino acid therapy, which if you are medication resistant, not to endorse anything, but I would highly recommend looking up psychiatrists who use that as an option because it not only helped me, but really helped me to not have the same level of stress in my nervous system that I'd had for like 30 years. But anyway, that's an aside. Um, even with a team like that um, of support that I was lucky enough to have, I believe because it it saved my life, um, you're still going to have moments when you're by yourself. You're still going to have difficult moments with or without your team there. Middle of the night, middle of the day, you're out of dinner and all of a sudden like, whoa, you know, you're in it. If you don't feel like you're quote enough to sit with yourself because, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, sometimes we need help from an anchor. Again, that's why we talk about anchoring. Tarot can be your anchor. So how that relates to my story is that unintentionally I started using tarot as an anchor so any time that I felt lost, stuck, flung back into trauma, triggered, anxious, depressed, nervous, in any state of contraction, no one had ever taught me to do this. It just made sense. It made sense because I wanted to be back in my um, truth. The brain is not always a reliable narrator of anything. This is whether or not things are triggering or whether they're not. The brain is not always a reliable narrator. And that can be very tricky, especially when we're navigating things like our feelings, our thoughts, whether or not, like it can be very confusing actually, especially when there's been gaslighting and we're really trying to um, reclaim our truth. There is no one that is exempt from inquiring about their thoughts before speaking, no one. Even if we are developing strengths that we feel like we've been robbed of, it still behooves everyone to pause and say, well, okay, here's my feelings. Here's the situation. What's the truth? Do, are they matched or are they not matched? Is there something in there? Do I need to ask more questions? Is there something that I can take a breath around before I speak my truth? Is there a way that someone could hear me that might my words might be received a little better, might diffuse things, it might uncrack things differently. So I like to say a lot of the time that breath and time are your friend and inquiry is our friend. And in a moment when we are um, unable to determine the difference between, quote, feelings and facts, and if we're not sure whether or not our feelings match the facts or our sensation of body and mind match the facts, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, we can turn to the tarot, which is what I was doing, 
And in moments when I felt totally flung into despair, I would drop in with spirit, even though I really didn't feel like I heard a lot, um, and say, okay, can you help me see? This is a moment that I know is not true because this is a memory that happened 25 years ago. And I know that I'm safe in my apartment with my husband on my couch, but yet my body really feels like it's back in like 1990. And I, I feel like I need to agree because the sensations are so intense. I can't get on top of them. Going to my tarot deck and saying, God, how can I best be with this? What does my body, heart, soul most need from me right now, right now? And if I can step into a space of understanding, comprehension, action in any way, what is it that I'm being shown or invited to in this? Like, what is this teaching me, basically? Sometimes question three didn't didn't apply. But I would pull from that place as a desire to see, well, what's the difference here? What's the difference between feelings, facts? What's in this moment where I where I it is not confusing, where I absolutely know that I'm having a massive chemical response that doesn't match the facts, doesn't match the truth of this moment. How can I create a bridge? And tarot can create that bridge. And that is actually how I've come to a lot of my understandings of these cards, because through doing that, you start living them. If you pull an energy in that, that guides you to the next plank of wood in your bridge, you are going to be intimately connected with that card for life. You're going to have experiences to draw on and it will come through for you as an ally, even the difficult ones, even the happy ones. Because the one of the major things that I can advise anybody working with the tarot who feels generally kind of confused and, and, and has a tendency, and this can be such a profound gift, but to look at it very linearly, um, that in a state of stress could pull like the three of cups and be like, what does this mean? I don't get it. I don't feel good at all. It's not stating how you feel. It's offering an invitation. Tarot doesn't, tarot isn't, isn't the state. It's the invitation. It's the seed in any moment, just like it's not the future. It's not the past. It can only report on the invitation because everything's an invitation. Your asshole grandpa you know, inviting you to blow up at him at dinner, that's an invitation. Your, um, your depression is an invitation. It's all an invitation. Everything is an invitation and it's not a trick. It's not like a, it's not a test. It's genuinely that everything is an invitation that we can say no or yes to. And it goes back to our idea of free will. It's not, about everything even being a good invitation. <laughs> it really is just simply an invitation that we can accept or decline. And we forget that we have that ability to do that. So just if you get three of wands, I encourage you in that moment to say, well, what is the community that I can reach out to? What is the joy that could be available to me? Certainly not joy in the face of such shittiness, but 
Is there someone in my life who tends to lift me no matter how I'm feeling? Is there someone in my life who brings me joy no matter where I happen to be? Is this a situation where I can step into a space of welcoming in a circle or a community that can hold a space for me? Is this that moment to call on them? So that's the invitation of the Three of Cups in that context, and I encourage you to look at it that way. Um, the tarot is a mirror. It will reflect back to us whatever we're putting into it, whatever we ask. If we ask it, what's the difference here? What is my brain believing? What is the truth of my soul? And where can I bridge the two? That was essentially the question that formed out of me inadvertently creating an anchor out of my tarot deck. And you can do that too. It's the basis of my teachings. It's really how I, it's the only way that I know how to interpret cards because I did it probably every day, maybe 10 to 15 to 20 to 35 times a day for about two years straight. That was all that I did was if something was going on and I couldn't see the shape of it, Remember, my PTSD was pretty goddamn severe. So it was really like there would be moments where I'd totally dissociate and lose myself completely. So I would just go to my deck, did not have to be holy. You don't need to show up with your to your deck and like show up super clean. Your deck wants to be used and it wants to help you in the nitty gritty. Some decks can't go there. So you have to know the energy of your deck. You have to understand it. You have to sense the, the capacity of your deck. And it's not anything against any deck. Um, the Smith Rider Centennial deck loves hanging out at my house and loves to be used as a teaching tool. But if I go to that deck for a moment trying to use it in a reading, it like won't have it. It's very upset. <laughs> this is not like when I use it, we, we don't mesh. My questions don't mesh with it particularly well. Um, it doesn't talk to me. And I know that there are a couple of people who use it in great brilliance and it talks to them. Um, for a long time, the mother piece was the only deck that talked to me. And very recently, another deck came into my life where I can go way more places in than I ever could with my mother piece deck. And so, and there are also some other slightly more problematic colonialist aspects of mother piece. I love that deck as everyone knows, but, um, it was important for me to take a break from it to access, you know, how I felt. But I, to be honest with you, I still need a deck as an anchor. So there is, there was an importance for me about using it until another one came into my life. And it did with the Aquarian that I happen to really love. So it really doesn't matter what deck you use. I used to say like, oh, if you have trauma, don't use this or that. And I really think it's, it's, I was wrong. Like, I really think you can use any deck. It's really a matter of trusting your heart and feeling that sense of like, oh, my, my friend, my, you know, my, my buddy, like, this is it. Like, this is, you have to just pay attention to the feelings in the body that come up um, or trust that if one is there and that's like the only deck you have, just start with that one. It can be a real spiralic, nonlinear process. So yeah, 
we can use the tarot as a way of saying, this is what's happening in the brain. This is what I'm feeling right now. This is what's happening in the soul. This is what I'm thinking. You know, this is the truth of what's happening right now. And again, where do they intersect? What do I need to do? What do I need to offer myself? All of that can come through our deck. Now, let's talk about feelings versus facts, okay? So are feelings sometimes facts? Of course. Are thoughts sometimes true? Naturally. Are they always? Hell no, they are not. Are feelings always facts? I mean, come on, really think about that. Of course not. Of course feelings are not always facts. If you're finding yourself defensive about that, definitely pause and inquire. (laughs) Because it's, you know, we have a bazillion feelings a day that have nothing to do with anything. They're not actually based in the facts. And if we have a hard time discerning, well, what do I, how do I know if it's a fact or not? The only way that you can do that is to inquire. And once there's been an inquiry, taking right action. So for example, if I see something and think to myself, X doesn't like me, they don't like me, they're mad at me, yada, yada, yada. My next step, rather than projecting onto them or being bizarre or, you know, as I can be when I'm getting nervous and I don't think people like me, (laughs) um, or like go heavy into trying to be like extra friendly to feel it out. Really the most integral way to do it that I've matured into doing more of as I've gotten older is to inquire. And when I say inquire, I mean, literally sit down with a pen and paper and say, okay, what's the evidence that they don't like me? Do I have evidence? Have they ever said anything? Have they acted in a certain way? Have they responded to me? Could it be that they are really going through something and I'm not the person that they want to rely on? And, you know, what does that bring up for me? You know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is, the brain will tell you like, no, 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 they don't like you. They don't like you. But we can say, well, maybe, but probably They're going through something right now. So then we move into a space of saying, okay, I've inquired and I've either uncovered a reason that they might be upset or not. And now I'm going to go to them and just simply write with a lot of love and kindness. Hey, like, you know, this is probably my brain and probably just contraction, but I wanted to just tune in with you. Are we okay? And if we're not okay, please let me know. It doesn't need to be a whole thing. I just want to make it right. I'd like to make amends if it's not. Um, Let me know. So here's what we've done. We have, by inquiring, chosen non-identification because when we believe that someone doesn't like us and we get identified, then we start talking and thinking like, oh, it's them, oh, it's us. Like, I'm going to pull away. They're going to pull away. If they call again, I'm going to withhold. And... We may even go to a space of like, no one likes me, I'm so weird, Um, I can't have friends, or we may drop into really harmful patterning like, you know, withholding or going to other friends for information in a way that doesn't feel really integral or anything like that. So we've chosen to drop out of identification by inquiring, and we've also chosen wise response. We've chosen to stay open to the possibility that they're going through something that we can actually help to support them in, or that there's nothing going on. 
And we've kept ourselves from having a stressful experience that is connected more and more and more and more to contraction. And so it is very wise to inquire and pause about our feelings. And sometimes we can only go into a space. Like if, if, for example, we are very triggered by something that requires a conversation, one of the wisest ways that we can prevent ourselves from being hurt by a defensive person is to say, hey, I would like to have a conversation with you. And it might be a little uncomfortable for both of us, but it's a hard question. I have to ask it. Are you available for that? Really, you know, are you not only time available, but are you available to have a conversation where we are both taking responsibility, thinking about our truth, not accusing, you know, not accusing anyone of anything that's not in truth. For anyone listening to this that's thinking, well, you know, I spent so long being gaslighted or or brainwashed and now I'm finally waking up to the truth. No one's exempt. No one. It is very, as someone who was gaslighted so badly, I didn't even know my mother was abusive for like decades of her beating me. Um, truly was really, that was quite a shock when someone finally put those words together for me. Um, no one is exempt. No one from doing this work. It is hard work for anyone who has been gaslighted, maybe even, you know, especially people, folks who've been gaslighted in a way that is like worldwide, you know, in any way, feeling that the their bodies don't matter. Their experience doesn't matter. There's all different forms of this. No one is exempt. This is human collective work to be able to drop in, say, is this true? And then if it's true, you can rip ass. It's not a problem to be very clear about boundaries. I mean, I don't know. I'm from New Jersey. I have no fucking problem if someone is acting up to be like, this is unacceptable and you're never going to do it with me again. And I don't care what your intention was, but the experience of the ground you laid was this for me. This was my experience of it. I didn't like it. Wanted you to know. See you later. And they don't owe you anything more than that. But it's an experience of saying to ourselves, what's my truth? Taking personal responsibility, even for the wording before we step up and out and we say something period, because it helps us as well as them. And if it's a scenario where we don't give a fuck about helping them, it will really help us because we'll speak from a place of greater clarity, greater truth. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference. So what the hell does this have to do with trauma in the tarot? It has to do with that because we can do and provide ourselves with the exact same tools around our work with trauma and mental distress. So we can go to our decks in moments when we feel triggered. We can go to our decks in moments when we feel like we're not okay. And it can help us to discern the difference between feelings versus facts. Facts are when there's evidence, when there's evidence of something. Sometimes it is a feeling. Sometimes it's taking it out to someone else and saying, you know, what what is the truth here? And then sometimes it's going to someone watching their reaction and hearing them either tell us or not tell us what their intentions were, if that's a safe thing to do. So feelings versus facts, they sometimes they intersect and sometimes they don't. It's way more complex when we think about the idea of interpersonal stuff. But if we speak about ourselves, 
having the very strong, strong, strong occurring feeling or reoccurring feeling that we're going to die, we're not going to be okay, you know, whatever it might be, it's very wise to be able to say to ourselves, that is a really, really strong feeling brain and I hear you and there is a lot of fear about us not being okay. But the truth is, is like absolutely nothing is permanent and I can see the proof of that in every baby who grows up to be an adult in every tree that is born and formed and fed from what has died and come before it from every tree that goes through winter and then comes into full bloom in summer. There's no way that I won't be okay because nothing is permanent. So check on that. That's a way to start to begin new forms of working with quote proof in the brain when there is a problem. And again, tarot can provide this amazing visual form of proof and truth in moments when we're not sure we can trust ourselves. So in terms of how to quote be with trauma and how tarot can help, the thing we have to remember is that trauma really behaves in a very nonlinear way, which most people know is that we can be walking along, living our lives, and all of a sudden, boom. You know, we talk a lot about triggers with trauma. My trauma is often not triggered by anything. <laughs> it can be tripped off through a series of really subtle things, like things are going very well, and then it reminds my brain of disaster, and then you know all of a sudden it invites me into this really quiet memory or quiet thought, and then all of a sudden you know we're entangled. So everyone listening to this, I think, knows that it behaves pretty spiralically. Um, in some ways, not even spiralically. Healing really happens in a spiral. Um, trauma can happen in like these very strange, um, bouncing around zigzag lines. But here's the deal. If we have post-trauma or trauma in the nervous system of any kind, all that that basically means is that the body experienced something that was too big for it to process at once. So it's trying to maintain the clearing of the trauma, the expression and the release of the trauma from the nervous system and like helping to keep your breath and heart and lungs moving. So it's at odds with itself because the brain is here to keep us alive. It essentially has one function. The soul and the spirit and the truth of us is really here to fly and evolve and step into discomfort. That's what it wants. And so trauma can be at great odds with the brain and soul sometimes because, and this is really why tarot is an important tool to use in this, because if you've ever had trauma and you desire to expand in your life, you're going to hit a point where the brain attempts to pull or invite you out of that exciting, awesome potential and into a space of disaster, potential fear, or old traumatic memories, because it's really the only way that it might have to keep you safe and what the brain perceives as safe, because the brain does not perceive expansion as safe, even when you have no trauma. So what do we do with that? we call upon the tarot to say, is this truly like something that, you know, is this my brain essentially popping this up to help to keep me from expansion? And if so, 
How can I gently continue to expand while honoring, processing, and moving through the experience that I am right now chemically and emotionally? So we can do both. It sounds kind of bizarre, but it's actually quite, or complex, but it's actually quite easy. So again, that's part of what tarot can do for us. And if we're in a moment, anything, any even smaller, more lesser triggers, we can go to it and say, you know, here's the really intense feeling, um, or rather, what is the root of this very intense feeling? What is the truth? And how do they intersect? Where can I take action? Where can I step into a space of empowerment around that? What does my body need from me right now? Or does it need nothing? Does it need me to just sit here and cry? So the healing of trauma is so intense because we're literally delayering shrapnel from the nervous system when we get triggered. That's that's what's possible. And that's a whole different conversation. But essentially, one of the best ways that we can do that is to recognize, let it be, um, definitely investigate, and then just allow the emotions to flow, get to the point where we feel safe enough to be able to cry or scream or release it out and out of the nervous system so we're not holding it anymore. And I recognize fight flight can be really major, but you are listening to someone who managed to doula herself out of fight flight so many times and shift every single time we inquire and shift into a space of gentleness around that. We can let go of some emotional weight and it really does make a difference in the nervous system. That's almost the only way that trauma knows how to get out is through crying. So it's just something to know. Um, so we can really heal and process trauma when we're able to honor the invitation back into an old story, be like, oh, wow, there's trauma here. Okay, great. Like literally just noticing, not panicking, not freaking out, just awareness. That's all. Decline or accept the invitation. You can be taken for a huge ride chemically, a very expensive, intense, traumatic ride and still say, no, thank you. Still say, I'm unavailable for that. And you know why? Or rather, <laughs> um, you know what, as I was going to say, um, if you are interested in my work and you've enjoyed my work, you have listened to a podcast episode, done a class, seen a post, um, heard me talk on the telescopes when I was doing them for the numinous, when I've been triggered. You've probably gotten a reading from me when I've been triggered because being triggered is not enough for me personally anymore to stop me from doing things. So it's not a forcing, but I always inquire, is this something that I'm meant to stop my day for? Or is this something that I'm meant to work through, breathe through, bow to as I move through my day? And the answer is almost always yes to the latter. Now, it wasn't always that way, but it was. it's a very powerful act to know you don't need to make the feelings stop in order to continue living through them. Like There can be a lot of wisdom and a lot of awareness gained from that. So you decline or accept the invitation, call upon an anchor, call upon spirit, turn to your deck, say, okay, what's the truth in this? Help me discern. Your deck can help to, to discern. Root into the truth, return to those cards, um, 
keep talking to yourself and allow the storm to pass because it does pass. Everything passes. Everything is weather. Call your sponsor, call your doctor, call a friend. Do whatever you need to do to feel like you can move through that with ease and grace. And also, by the way, ain't nothing wrong if you go through big trauma waves to call upon anchors that have nothing to do with spirituality. I'm telling you, like, without the office, I swear to you I would be dead. Without Calvin and Hobbes, oddly, I provided such comfort for me. It was the exact format, my Calvin and Hobbes books. There's no judgment. There's no need to make anything like spiritual or anything. If you have big trauma waves, go where it will help your nervous system to soften. If you want to do work with your trauma, as in uncovering, investigative, safe feeling work for the nervous system, tarot is a great place, but it doesn't, doesn't mean, um, that you can't rely on comforts that help too. They help immensely. So anchors can be all kinds of different things, but if we want to stay present during the processing of our trauma, having an anchor is crucial. So this is the kind of anchor that we're talking about. Um, and you know, when we think about the idea of real, but not true, um, that's what we're talking about. Post-trauma is the epitome of real, but not true. It is so fucking real, but it's not necessarily true. That old memory has nothing to do with the present moment. And yet it's the experience. It's the same thing with drugs. If we're tripping, that's very real, but it's not true. It's not an actual true experience that our hand is on fire or anything like that. It's part of the perception. So it's not about not honoring the experience. It's actually honoring it more fully because it creates tremendous stress on the nervous system to feel that, oh, this is my truth now. Reality has totally abandoned me and slipped away. The only real way that we can root in is to say, the world is still turning. Things are still well. There's chaos in my nervous system right now because of a chemical response that I'm having to an old trigger. And I know that if I provide breath and compassion, if I call upon an anchor that helps make me feel more supported in that work, it will pass. That's part of how we begin to reparent ourselves, to be able to look at, take the hand of our inner child and say, okay, you know, this is, this is what's happening. Here's the truth of it. The truth of it is that it's a chemical trip, basically that the brain is inviting us into. But the truth is, is that we're totally safe right here, right now. And all this intense cortisol to run away from what the brain thinks is like a bear in front of us is not actually the truth. It's very real. We feel it. There's no argument with it, but it's not the truth. So now how can we be with this, take extra exquisite care of ourselves or just even survive it to get to the next step? There is tremendous ability to begin to shift the way we experience this in the nervous system by being with it in truth. It's very, very powerful. So the tarot can be a deeply effective anchor during difficult, uncomfortable, or painful experiences. It can clarify visually and internally the truth of our experience. It can clarify another way of viewing our inner experience if we're frozen it might help us to take a walk to the corner. 
if we are in total flight, it might invite us to pause. It might help to unlock something that's ready to be unlocked. If we want to fight, it could help us to breathe. It could help us to use our words to take that moment, that magic quarter second, which is such a wonderful phrase. Um, it can help us to touch the grief that lays under our anger, which can obviously help to facilitate so much. The tarot can also help us to evolve through and past the trauma that we've experienced. That doesn't mean that we won't ever look at it again or like, oh, we're better because that's not even words that apply with, with trauma. Healing trauma is a spiral. And without our without the information provided within the trauma, um, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I would have nothing to talk to you people about. <laughs> so um, I have gratitude for my curiosity. I wanted to understand what was happening inside of me always. I was always curious. And if I understood the mechanism of it, it was made it a lot easier for me to be with it, to bear it. Um, tarot can bring us into what I call a holographic truth, a truth that's not just like one black and white hard line, but one that has many, many, many colors, many shapes to it, which truth does. Um, and yeah, you know, what evolution through trauma might look like is really, really, really different for everyone. It might feel like we're safe in our bodies again. It might feel like we can function. It might also feel like we can really expand and teach. Um, it might mean that our old triggers don't affect us in the way they used to. It might mean we forgive, that we reparent. There are all kinds of different ways that that can move into us. Um, trauma just simply is information. Um, and it's an invitation. And the tarot is really an invitation into evolving and expanding through any contraction in any moment. So we can, we have two ways to use the tarot with trauma and with mental wellness and health. The first is to help to distinguish and check in with the brain and soul to distinguish, you know, what's truth, what's feeling, what's fact here. The other way that we can do it is to actually be evolving. So there's a growthful aspect and there's a survival aspect, both of which tarot does quite well. Um, so trauma is really information. And at its root, it's always trying to help. It's always trying to bring us back to the body, trying to bring us back to ourselves, trying to let go of something because the nervous system gets confused. Um, it is an initiation to move through trauma. It is in some bizarre ways, a rite of passage, certainly not one I glorify, but it certainly does bring us into levels of darkness and despair and also ones of appreciation and gratitude that I don't know that the average person has contact with. Um, and that can provide a lot of context for compassion to our fellow man, deeper listening. Um, we certainly didn't ask for our trauma, but if it's here, it's here. And then we have to ask ourselves, well, how will I respond to it? So the things to know about the tarot is that it is, you know, the, to recap, basically, 
that the tarot is always a map to the present moment. So if we're going through something mentally that brings us into the past or the future, tarot can help to ground us. You don't necessarily need to use the questions I posed. You can use any, any, any questions that feel good to you that you want or need in the moment. Just trust yourself. It is a matter of, um, it is a matter of necessity that you ask yourselves the questions that you really want the answers to. So do that. Use the deck that aligns with you. Again, like that's, a part of my ignorance that I used to say, oh, like a trauma-friendly deck is this or that, like it, that's bullshit because <laughs> like truly the deck that you need to use that's right for you will be right for you. Um, ideally, you want it to feel like a home base and that's all that's required. It doesn't need to necessarily speak, express, be anything. It just needs to feel like home to you. So that's really important. Um, healing trauma is a process of expansion through contraction. In other words, it is uncomfortable and it's not a problem that it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good, but it's also, there's nothing wrong with it being uncomfortable. Um, it's a part of it. The nervous system wants us to be comfortable. The soul wants us to fly. We've talked about this many times on the podcast, like the soul is here to grow, expand, evolve, fly out of the comfort zone. It's the caterpillar that always wants to be turning into a butterfly. The nervous system, especially if there's no trauma, the nervous system just wants to keep us alive. It doesn't like it. It bristles at that level of discomfort. And if we're in some unawareness, we can really believe it and like never make a decision with our lives. And if there's been trauma then it won't even want to do relationships. It won't want to do, won't want to do anything. And it will associate the potentials of lovely things because relationships are not lovely to everybody, of course, but it will associate things that feel very exciting and like a soul yes with a dangerous no, not even just a no, but a danger no, because trauma has, you know, if we've been abused, especially like the the part of us that's traumatized has worked so hard to keep us alive that it really, really will, um, it will fling us into some like major danger stuff with that. And the truth is, is that we're totally safe. It's about honoring the fact that, yeah, the nervous system is going to feel super scared. And y'all, I still work through this all the time. The problem, or rather not the problem, the thing is, though, it doesn't bother me anymore. Is it uncomfortable? Of course. Do I enjoy it? No, not at all. <laughs> Do I appreciate what it's doing? Do I understand that this is a part of the life path that I'm in? Do I understand that this is work that I'm supposed to do in this lifetime? Do I also understand that this is a part of the true reason that I get paid to do what I do? Is me sitting in a bathroom working through my stuff like on the floor. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That's a part of it. Trauma is an initiation. It opens us up to all these different spaces. Every fucking time you've ever seen me, I've never been shy about sharing this. Anytime you've ever seen me on a retreat, on a vacation, understand that like for at least a half hour of that time, if not for a full day, I've moved through major brain stuff around like it's not safe to do this. Just know that. 
about me (laughs) and probably about most people that you admire or think like, oh my God, they're here, they're there. It's a blessing to be able to do that stuff. But it's not, the, the, the linear story the brain wants to tell is not true. It's not like Lindsay was once traumatized and now she can do all these things. Lindsay is able to do all these things because her trauma is allowed to come with her. And it does always. It's always the passenger in the seat. And it's not terrifying. It's little me. It's me. It's just a part of me that wants to be reassured that the world is safe to experience. So it will flip the fuck out if I get off a plane into a completely new space or if I'm thrown out of my comfort zone. It takes about 24 hours for me to be like, oh yeah, this is okay. You know, and I think most people go through that, but it can be very intense. So it's not a problem if you go through that. The key is practicing non-judgment with it. It just is. It's not your fault that you have things come up and we can begin to embrace ourselves even in those difficult places as friends and as not necessarily glorifying trauma, but there can be major things to know and intimacy to be created with ourselves through that stuff. Um, Nothing is permanent. We never go backward, even if we feel that way. Learning about the spiral in Susan Weed's healing wise is what totally transformed my relationship to trauma. Um, I recommend that you read the intro if only for that. Um, So, okay. Actual ways to use the tarot as a tool to help process work through trauma and, you know, to maintain mental health. Um, Before you pull a card, drop in and really let yourself speak on, share what's going on. Are you identifying? Most of us, Tara Brock talks a lot about this, that the hardest part of this process is even knowing that you're identified because we can go like four days, we can go lifetimes without being like, oh yeah, like I'm, this isn't, this is not the truth. This is a trigger. This is a episode. This is trauma. Oh, cool. Okay. And it can take a really long time to be able to say like, oh yeah, this is, I'm identified right now. (laughs) Once we realize that we can go to our deck, we call upon whatever, guide, source, higher self. And we just speak to that. We say, you know, I'm, I'm really caught in something. I don't know the fullness of it. It feels really scary and unsafe and uncomfortable. And I feel alone. And you just keep naming, naming, naming. And then you ask yourself, feel gentle with yourself, even if it feels abhorrent to do so. You know, this whole episode brings up a lot of shit. People are very, very, very attracted to the idea that there needs to be this major not-go-there attitude about trauma. And it's truly the only way to work through it is to let it be there, is to say, okay, you know, this this arose. You know, all right. That doesn't mean put yourself in situations of lack of safety, I don't speak to anybody who creates havoc, abuse, or trauma in my life anymore. But when my triggers arise, I'm like, all right, there's work to do. Great. But that's partly because I have all this anchoring around me from the tarot to know that I can do that with myself. So it's just about developing that capacity within ourselves to do that. So be gentle be willing to consider that that's a possibility, even if it feels terrible, it often will. It's not 
a feeling that you necessarily need to believe. It's often that the facts are that part of the reason that the brain associates being gentle with ourselves with being disgusting is because it actually helps us. And if it thinks that us processing our trauma, the brain that is, um, will be a threat to the grip that it has on us, it will make things like being gentle with ourselves like disgusting. So it's like, again, you have to inquire about everything, really, like even the layers under the layers. Um, So the soul inquiry check-in that I've been teaching for four years, you know, whatever using for four years, certainly teaching probably for like three and a half, four years. Card one, what is actually happening right now? What's actually happening? Card two, how do I feel about it? What's the perception? What's the brain story? Card three, do they match? Are my feelings facts? What's, you know, where's the intersection? And card four, what is it teaching me? And if you want to, you can also say, if you haven't gotten that from your cards, is there anything for me to do about it? Is there anything for me to step into, take on? Is there um, a direction to take this in, to care for myself in a way that feels really good? Um, There is a huge difference, again, between what is actually happening versus how we feel about it often. If we're not inquiring about this, we can begin to hold space for experiences without you know, if we are inquiring about this, we can start to hold space for our experiences without identification, which is the idea. It sets us free. So we want to ask ourselves, you know, really how we can begin to be with that. And some, you know, we can also ask what's leaving, what's coming in. Um, some trauma-friendly questions to ask that always used to really help me when I was like in the shit uh, is, um, what am I being invited into in this moment? Another question is, how can I move through this moment with as much ease and grace as possible? A very important third question is, what does my body need from me right now? How can I be of service? How can I step in? How can I take action right now? right now. Number four, um, you can ask too, how can I shift into a place of trust with this moment? Because there's so much about trauma that strips us of our trust in ourselves and others. If we know, if we really begin to understand that the brain is not a reliable narrator and that the soul, our connection with these anchors, with reality can provide a powerful compass back home. It can really begin to change things. So I encourage you, if this helped at all, to utilize this and to know so many people that I've taught now express this through their teachings as well, that the tarot is a profound indicator of whether or not someone or something or we are in our truth or in identification. And it can really help us to identify the difference and to respond from that place. And by the way, there's nothing actually wrong with being in identification. It's about knowing that you're in identification though. (laughs) And saying like, I know I'm in major contraction, but I fucking hate that bitch. And like, I, I, 
am really in a space where I feel like all this is my mother's fault. And like, it is so not all my mother's fault, even though she was abusive. It's really not her fault because then we get into truth there is that without my mother being awake to what she was doing, it created a lot of harm and a lot of stress and it created a lot of work for me to do with myself. But without it, I would really have nothing to talk about in this area because a lot of what I share, all of what I share, I've not had a teacher about any of the, you know, my teacher, Michelle has been insurmountably important. She's taught me so much, but in terms of how it relates to the tarot, that's, it's just from my work. It's just from uncovering and everything I share is something I've personally experienced. So that's how I know everybody has a wealth of teachings inside of them and they don't necessarily need what I'm telling them or anyone else is telling them. It's about letting yourself be invited into a true space, this true moment of discovery and curiosity with your deck to help to unfold. And again, I would surely be dead without the podcast of Tara Brock, which I highly recommend to anyone who wants support and can't afford anything. Like if this podcast is something to you that offers you some support, know that it was really created in that spirit of giving something away because I know what it is to really need and not have the resources to do it. So this is a way for you to step into a space of saying, I can begin to learn on my time with a deck that speaks to me, with a book that really has these, I don't know that many books that talk about tarot like this because again, I was not taught by anyone, but there are shades of it around And when I write my book, you can use my book, but (laughs) um, there are lots of written books, like guidebooks to decks that are so intelligently written, so beautiful. Um, Lean into that, learn on that, and then expand out and be like, okay, well, what's, what are the other theories of these cards? Like how interesting. And is that true for me? Just start questioning everything, but lean into something that makes you feel like a homecoming. If it feels stressful, it's probably time to get another deck. So just know that you might have like a caretaking deck and you might have a regular deck. Um, I hope that this served you. I've been sort of waiting to do this episode for a while. Um, I haven't known if people would like it or not, but I wanted to just sort of riff and offer whatever I can to share that, share my experience, to share what I did to help myself to share what has created the foundation for my entire practice, the integrity of it, the honoring of it, the sharing of it, the receiving of it, listening, um, teaching, teaching others how to use this. Um, and hopefully it helps you too. So, um, yeah, start, you can start using your deck in that way. And, um, To anybody who, I'm just going to say this with extreme gentleness and love, do not email me and ask me to transcribe this. Please do not email me and ask me to transcribe the questions or the prompts that I gave you. Pause button, pen and paper, your friend. So you can pause this episode. You can write them down. It's better if you do that anyway, because it'll really get it in your mind. Um, If I'm offering it for you in a, a audio manner, then it's for you to 
um, utilize and practice for yourself, you know, so give it a shot. If it works, great. If it doesn't, just continue to evolve it in a way that does work for you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I adored doing this. I hope you like it. And I will see you next week for another beautiful interview with an amazing reader. And until then, be well and take care of yourselves. <laughs>